This is Longevity Now, the place for all your news and views about life extension from around the world. Longevity is a worldwide nonprofit organization that advocates for longer, healthier human lives. In fact, the byline of the organization is advocacy and research for unlimited lifespans. On the advocacy front, Longevity has produced different forms of media throughout the years and maintains an active form. Due to the 501c3 legal structure of Longevity, it cannot directly support political candidates through financial means. If it could, perhaps some support would flow in the direction of Zoltan Ishvan. He is a transhumanist and the first ever presidential candidate to advocate for radical life extension. Hear what he has to say in this episode of Longevity Now. And now I would like to welcome to the Longevity Now podcast, Zoltan Ishvan. Oh, hello. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yes. And for those who might not be familiar with you and your activities recently, could you give us just a little background information? Well, sure. Uh, you know, I am a transhumanist and a writer, uh, the author of The Transhumanist Wager, but I think most people know me now as the uh, U.S. presidential candidate of the Transhumanist Party. Uh, I'm running uh, in 2016, and we do uh, quite well in the media, but we uh, have very little chance of winning this election, but have a pretty fun agenda, and I think a lot of people have been hearing about it. We'll discuss the presidential candidacy in just a bit. First, how did you discover life extension or transhumanism? Well, you know, I've, I think I've always wanted to do it. I've always wanted to be a scientist from a very young age. I used to play with science kids. But I think what really happened was when I was 20 and I was going to college, I read an article about cryonics for the very first time. And it occurred to me that, wow, in the, with so much science and technology developing, we may not need to die, or at least we could be brought back to life at some other point in the future. And that led me right to the transhumanism movement. So I, I, you can say I've been a transhumanist for you know, a good 20, 30 years. But what has happened recently, it seems like the movement is starting to really grow. And I have been you know, directly trying to participate in it as, as a kind of a, uh, a visible person and as an activist in making strides against culture so that we can kind of embrace hopefully longer lifespans together. Okay, so you say you've noticed the transhumanist thoughts and transhumanist meme has grown, say, through the years. Is there any other type of evolution you've noticed within the transhumanist movement? Well, you know, it's gone through a lot of evolutions. There's just a lot of things that have been kind of frankly happening that I think make the movement much stronger than before. First off, the media has changed. Social media has changed transhumanism. You have a huge amount of younger people getting involved, and it's not just science fiction to them anymore. It's it's actually they're either supporting it with their science or with their uh, you know their social media participation or with as journalists like I do. And then there's also just a bunch of miscellaneous things happening. You're just simply finding that science and technology is also expanding. And what's happening is people are starting to just jump on board this general life extension slash transhumanism slash singularity slash, hey, we're techno-optimists. And that's where the movement is growing the most. And so I'm excited. It's not really just one direction. It just seems to be sprouting. But I would say that the youth, the youth are really the millennial generation are largely responsible for some of the sharp growth that I've been seeing in the movement lately. Sure. And to you and to me, we certainly see the promise of uh, human enhancement, technological progress. Yet on the societal level as a whole, most of the developed 
Western countries of the world seem to be rather lethargic in jumping onto that bandwagon, besides the young people that you mentioned. Uh, what's the biggest stumbling block to, uh, say, getting more funding for uh, human enhancement, life extension type technologies? Well, I mean, this is my major platform. And, you know, for your listeners who don't know, I'm running as an atheist. I know in politics in America, that's incredibly uh, unusual. In fact, I think I'm the first visible presidential candidate who's an atheist. But I believe, and not to upset anyone, but I believe that religion and kind of this dogmatic culture that we live in has largely hindered progress in the scientific field. Why does somebody want to live indefinitely or use science to live indefinitely when they're going to die and meet a maker in heaven and then live a, you know, an eternal life in bliss? That's the big problem with America. You have about 80, 85% of the people that sort of subscribe to that Abrahamic kind of viewpoint. Sure. You know, and I say, hey, certainly religion is welcome within transhumanism. The transhumanist party and my campaign welcome it. But we have to be at least reasonable to know that Many people don't believe in an afterlife that are transhumanists like myself, and so we need to create the most we can in this life. So I kind of just take that idea and put it forth to all my promotion of transhumanism, to my entire campaign, and say, you know, whether or not you believe in afterlife is sort of irrelevant. I believe that we need to find the technology now, today, to find a much longer lifespan. And that means convincing people that we need to use that technology. We need to put resources to develop that technology. We need to find and discover that technology. It's not just going to come to us. So we need to convince people that are conservative to say they need an artificial heart or they need some type of stem cell therapies that are going to make them live far longer. We need all these things in order to live far longer and better lives. So we need to overcome a kind of conservative culture that is somewhat dominated by religious ideals. You've gotten quite a bit of media attention about your presidential run, which is great. It would seem that uh, other uh, parties in the U.S. perhaps will have to address some of the issues that you bring up if you continue to get media attention. Uh, what about the functional aspects of your presidential run? Have you been successful in organizing uh, local groups in the various states of the U.S.? So this has been one of the bigger challenges. To begin with, the Transhumanist Party is entirely volunteer-based. We have no paid employees. And we're, you know, honestly underfunded. But like all brand new parties that are started, we just started about a year ago, we have grown considerably through a volunteer base and with a huge amount of supporters, getting a lot of media coverage. I think we're approximately in about 20 to 25 countries, too, with other nationalist parties, although some of those parties are very small, maybe just a few members, whereas the U.S. has, you know, 60, 70 volunteers, uh, another 20 advisors, four officers, and we have a, a real functioning system and, and some money in the bank and stuff like that. And we also have our bus tour coming up in about three weeks. So the U.S. party has some infrastructure, and we are starting state parties right now. We're working on one in Washington. We are, have already filed for one in Maryland, and we're also setting one up in Nevada and also California. So it's just a matter of putting in those chopping blocks and saying, okay, step by step, we're going to get it to the point when we are a very important and uh, you know strong third party. And then maybe by 2020 or 2024, we can actually put forth candidates in, for federal office that actually could win. And you know that's how you do it. That's sort of the American game plan for the uh, third party system, but it's possible. And I'm excited because I think as long as technology is growing, the transhumanist party is going to grow with it. Okay. So running for president and having a family is uh, sometimes very stressful. How do you stay healthy through all of that? How do you stay healthy and smart? So having a family 
And running for the presidency is actually a pretty challenging task. In fact, if your listeners have been listening very closely, you're probably going to hear my infant um, screaming a little bit in the background or walking above me. Uh, I'm home with her today due to some nanny issues. But it's what it is. And I think a family life and trying to do the campaign as well as just trying to keep my health up, um, you know, it's a challenge, but I'm able to do it. Personally, what I like to do to keep myself healthy and stress-free is I try to run every single day or swim every day. I actually don't take any um, pills, and I know a lot of people, uh, a lot of transhumanists do, and I probably should, and I probably should get more into taking more vitamins and considering a lot more of the scientific background. But what's happening is I'm only 42, and I'm, I've been in perfect health my whole life, so I have had no reasons at this point to really do much more than just to exercise vigorously every day. And that certainly helps with the stress because I can tell you having two uh, young kids, in addition to trying to figure out campaign bus tours and dealing with interviews and whatnot, has been a challenge for sure. I can imagine. Now, besides the presidential run, do you have any other endeavors that you've undertaken recently or anything you'd like to promote? I know you mentioned the bus tour that's coming up. Uh, Any time frame on that? Yes. So on September 5th, we are officially leaving on our bus tour. And if your listeners don't know, the bus is not a bus. It's actually a 40-foot coffin. Well, it's shaped like a 40-foot coffin. We've taken a large bus and made it into a coffin. It's supposed to be this symbol of life extension, this idea that a very provocative gesture as we're rolling down American roads to say, hey, we're all going to end up in a coffin if we don't do something about changing death. It's supposed to be a stark reminder. So our bus tour is really a, a provocative thing. We have a number of well-known journalists that are embedded with us. We have a number of filmmakers following us. We're going to uh, have a pretty crazy time in our ultimate goal is to end up in Washington, D.C. and to deliver a transhumanist bill of rights, which is really a bill of rights mandating that the government needs to support life extension science and, and, and longevity science because we feel like the government is worth you know, trillions of dollars and they're just simply not spending any money on longevity science. They're spending money on wars and bombs. And this is really what the party in my campaign is about. Hey, let's have a war on cancer. Let's have a war on Alzheimer's. Let's have a war on diabetes. But uh, I don't know if we need another far off war in, in the Middle East somewhere. Well, that sounds like a wonderful tour across the U.S. Please uh, keep everyone up to date, the different stops that you will be making, and I wish you the best of luck, and thank you for joining us on Longevity Now. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I very much appreciate it. We advocate in social media. We advocate in traditional media. We spread the word among our friends and families. This is all great, but in the halls of power around the world, The lovers are not being pulled too hard to fund life extension. Maybe because there are very few elected life extension advocates. I say thank you, Zoltan, for taking up this cause. Even though it is unlikely he will be elected president, his candidacy has drawn more media attention to life extension. Take a little time, if you can, and see him on the bus tour. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.